This episode is brought to you by Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma. When it's time for an aircraft component inspection, overhaul, repair, or replacement, you need experienced technicians you can trust and friendly service you can count on. Aircraft Accessories of Oklahoma, a family-owned business since 1959, delivers just that. Our techs have real-world experience and provide sales, service, and overhaul for piston engine aircraft accessories. We also have limited turbine capabilities such as fuel pumps, starter generators, and prop governors. And we can overhaul propellers ranging from fixed pitch to turbine. Propeller pickup and delivery service is available. And one more thing, mention this podcast to receive 5% off your next sale, service, or overhaul. Visit aircraftaccessoriesofok.com. Well, I've got a map. But there's nothing to reference. I mean, it's just it shows Africa. It's jungle. So going along and I figured, okay, but, you know, after six hours, there's a VOR I could pick up. And there's another one after that. And then the destination has an NDB. So I figured I can hit those. A VOR is a pretty big target. So the sun goes down and I get to the point where the first VOR should pop up and I tune it in and nothing and nothing and nothing. It's like, well... Geez, how lost am I? Welcome to another edition of There I Was, a podcast where we put you in the cockpit with pilots in demanding situations, but we learn how they flew out of them. I'm your host, Richard McSpadden. Today, we have another treat for you, another episode with Carrie McCauley, ferry pilot. In this episode, he's going to share with us a story of flying across the continent of Africa at about the equator, going into nighttime, thunderstorms, no nav aids, and dead reckoning his way across political boundaries, weather systems, and other challenges that he'll share with us. Kerry, welcome again to the There I Was podcast. Thanks, Richard. Kerry, you and I were speaking earlier, and you were talking about a pretty exciting flight you had over the Congo. Do you mind sharing that story with us? Sure, I'd be happy to. I was uh, ferrying that same 210 from the States to Dodoma, Tanzania. And the last leg of the trip was going to be from Libreville, Gaboon, which is on the west coast of Africa, to Tanzania, which is on the east coast of Africa. And it was a 1,900-mile leg, basically across the entire continent of Africa along the equator is about where it is. This one, I'd be uh, leaving early in the morning and get there at night because I was going through a few different time zones, kind of going against the sun. Once again, I didn't have any kind of a, a weather forecast. Literally, my weather briefing that morning was the guy handed me a a sheet of paper that had a copy of a satellite shot of the continent of Africa, an infrared satellite shot. It said (laughs) had two big blobs kind of over Tanzania. That's he said were thunderstorms. Said have a nice flight. Like great. Once again, (laughs) no winds aloft, no forecast, no nothing. Took off from Gaboon, and about an hour or so after that, I hit the the border of the Congo and. The night before, I'd met a couple of British pilots who flew and worked in that area of Africa. And I mentioned that we hadn't been able to get a, an overflight permit for the Congo. We've been tra- our company had been trying for a month or so. And he said, oh, yeah, that's, that's pretty typical. They don't do that. They don't give you the overflight permit. So if you fly over their country, as soon as you contact ATC, they're going to tell you to land. They're going to throw you in jail. They'll hold you for hostage for the, your company until you get whatever money can out of you. And then let you go after stealing all your money and probably your radios, too. So their suggestion to me was to turn off my transponder and fly really low to try, avoid getting shot down and just go for it. So <laughs> so that's what I did. 
So I cleared there, got got out of the Congo without uh, any extra holes in the airplane, and headed off across Africa. Let me let me just pause this and say I've always heard the old adage: ferry pilots are just a different breed. And I think that explanation right there kind of uh, kind of makes that point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, you kind of when you're flying sometimes questionable planes around the world, you 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 kind of have to go for it a little bit here and there and break the rules. It's kind of cowboy routine here and there, but uh, entirely different risk calculation. So. But anyway, so that's that's your plan. You decide, okay, when I get over the Congo, that's what I'm going to do. Yep. Okay. So I finally, I make it past the Congo. And the next big chunk of Africa, I knew I wasn't going to have any, any nav aids. Oh. So can I ask you, when you, when you went across the Congo, you, you drop low, you turn off your transponder. And I imagine there's not a lot of traffic out there. So you, you never saw or heard anything pretty quiet, uneventful across the Congo? Yeah, yeah. And actually, I didn't even turn the radio on to the frequency that they'd handed me off to because I didn't want to hear anybody yelling at me. It just like, wasn't going <laughs> to help me at all. It just make me nervous if they told me they were sending fighters up after me. So I just turned the radio off. Okay. So the next the next chunk of the of the flight, I knew I was going to have about a six-hour window of no navies. Oh, and a, a, little, a little point I forgot to mention, the prior day flying from the Ivory Coast to Gaboon, over the ocean there in, in Africa. Gulf of Guinea, it looks like. I'm following you along on the map. It looks like it's the Gulf of yeah, Guinea. Yep, the Gulf of Guinea. Yep. Sound right? Yep. That's it. Okay. Uh, halfway to Gaboon, my GPS died and never came back. It was gone for the rest of the trip. So mm. I was back to Charles Lindbergh days, nothing but my compass. And, and of course, now I am a 1,900-mile leg with nothing but a compass and no winds aloft forecast. Awesome. But, you know, just got to... Again, go for it. So I was in the, you know, I, I knew I'd have about a six-hour window of no navids. You know, I left the last VOR. There's no NDBs, no VORs. You know, that whole central part of Africa is like it was 3,000 years ago. There's there's nothing. There's no roads. There's no towns. It's Tarzan jungle for as far as you can see. Mm. And it was super misty and hazy that day. The visibility was maybe two or three miles. I had to be down about maybe... 1,500 feet, 2,000 feet of AGL to, to keep contact with the ground. So talking to nobody, no nav aids, flying over the middle of Africa, just kind of doing it. <laughs> On a heading, right, with really no geo-reference that you can follow along with a chart, like pilotage, like we all learned back in the day. None, none of that's even available to you because you don't have a chart. You don't have an accurate chart to do that with. Well, I've got a map, but there's nothing to, to yeah. reference. I mean, it's just it shows... Just jungle. Africa. It's jungle. Yeah. Like, yep, that's a tree. <laughs> there, there's another one. Okay. So just kind of going along, and I figured, okay, but, you know, after six hours, there's a VOR I could pick up, and there's another one after that, and then the destination has an NDB, so I figured I can hit those. A VOR is a pretty big target. So the sun goes down, and I get to the point where the first VOR should pop up, and I tune it in, and nothing. And nothing. And nothing. It's like, well, geez, how lost am I? I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. I should really, I'm, you know, he should be able to pick it up at least 50, 60 miles out. So, I mean, that's a, you know, 100 mile target that I'm hitting. But I wasn't, you know, I was kind of low because I couldn't get, you know, the, the clouds were keeping me down low. So I figured, well, maybe I'm just too low and I'm a little off. I'll wait till the next one. 
But the next next one was just before the, a line of mountains. There's a line of mountains in Africa. They're not super high. I think they're only at like five or six thousand feet. But there was kind of complicated by the fact that there was a ridge of thunderstorms along them, and that's what I been shown that in the morning of that saddle infrared satellite shot those thunderstorms were still there because again i'm right on the intertropical convergence zone so every afternoon there's thunderstorms mm -hmm. so i couldn't go around them they were they stretched as far as i could see so basically just pick the area with the least amount of flashes and dive in and uh let me tell you that thunderstorm kind of kicked my butt uh, it was a lot of really strong updrafts and downdrafts heavy rain Luckily, no hail, um, no super amount of G loading on the plane, so I didn't damage anything. But it was uh, it was quite a wild ride. Finally, burst out in between the thunderstorms, and again the the stars are out, and I, I think there was a moonshine. It was pretty impressive going in between these huge thunderstorms and then at night in the middle of Africa. Mm. But I was still I won't say lost, but pretty unsure of my exact position over Africa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, especially after getting jostled around a little bit yeah. like that, and you know. <laughs> yeah, so came to the next spot where the next VOR should be. Again, nothing, 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 nothing. I'm like, oh, great, here we go again. What the heck? So then it was, again, I'm trying to find a city in the middle of Africa, and I'm deciding what my options are. So now it's at night, and Dodoma is a very small town, very tiny town. So well, that's going to be tough to hit. Now, Nairobi, on the other hand, is a little off to my northeast. That's a pretty big city. Maybe I should angle to the left and just try to hit Nairobi. If I can find Nairobi, I can land there, sort this out in the morning. Mm -hmm. But I also, you know, once I leave my heading, I'm not sure, can I really find Nairobi? What if I miss Nairobi? Now I'm wandering just aimlessly out until my gas runs out. Great. And if I miss the coastline, I'm back out over the Indian Ocean now because the coastline in Africa isn't like the U.S. You know, in the U.S., Everybody lives on the coast because it's great real estate. So it's lined with lights. It's like a string of pearls. In Africa, it's dark. Yeah. So I can completely miss it and fly out over the ocean again. Being a pilot is about passion and dedication. The early mornings, hours invested, constantly learning procedures and details. There's a lot to do. Membership in AOPA makes doing the groundwork easier so you can get into the sky. With the power of thousands of pilots united behind you, get access to exclusive resources, practical benefits, and fierce advocacy that helps enhance and protect your freedom to fly. Join us. Visit aopa.org slash membership or give us a call at 800-872-2672. Now, let me ask you, when you couldn't pick up both VORs, having flown there and this, this was, you know, you were on this journey, you shared with us the, the other story from the, from the nighttime from the alternator issue, were you pretty confident that just the VORs weren't working or were you worried that you were so far off course that you couldn't even pick up the VORs? You know, I ran through all those scenarios, like, are my radios broken? Probably unlikely that both radios, I still had two working radios. It's unlikely that they both broke at the same time. VOR is not working. That's not usually a thing. Yeah. You know, so I figured, I figured I was lost. I figured I was just, I was too low, couldn't pick them up and didn't know where I was. Mm. But I decided not to go for the Nairobi option because I was still on a relatively good heading. I figured, okay, well, if I, if the clouds were kind of breaking up. I should be able to see the, the coastline. So if I miss Dodoma and I don't see the hit that NDB they have there, then I'll take a left up the coast and Nairobi is not too far off the coast. I should find something. 
kind of a calculated risk. Mm-hmm. So I flew along, and uh, it was kind of cool. I, shortly after there, I noticed there was a bunch of fires down in the road on the ground, and they could see the the locals burning burning brush or something. So I was like, "Well, at least civilization is there." So if I I crash, I won't be completely alone. It's not jungle anymore. And then the NDB came in. It started twitching. The needle twitched, and it was almost dead on the nose. What a good feeling! <laughs> wow, let me tell you, it's like, oh god. <laughs> I mean, this what a trip this trip is just you know, like come on every day give me a break man <laughs> um and i was and i was right on course like well i was like i was really happy that the ndb was there but i was like so what was with those vors oh well didn't matter that's in the past i had an ndb to follow followed it to the airport clicked on the lights awesome land on their dirt strip and i was delivering the plane to Mission Aviation Fellowship. It's a company that delivers that mm. provides aircraft and support to missionaries around the world. Okay, yeah. And I land there, and they, you know, they're all happy to see their plane. Great, you know. So they they've got dinner right waiting for me. So I sit down with the pilots. And we're having dinner, and they want to hear all about my trip. And so I tell them to it, and I, I get to the part of that day. So like, yeah, and then, yeah, a little while later, you know, then I was lost. I couldn't pick up these VORs, and the guys all kind of stopped eating and looked at each other, and I'm like, what? I go, well, didn't anybody tell you? Those VORs never work. They run on generators, and the local warlords always steal the gas. I'm like, jeez. <laughs> little information I could have used about 12 hours ago, guys. <laughs> that wasn't in the notum. could have put that in an email or something. It's like, oh, by the way. My God, jeez. Yeah. <sighs> and, you know, just to give our listeners a feel for the, the kinds of uh, the scenario you were in, when you were talking about edging up, you know, to Nairobi as a miss, that's like 200 miles north of Dodoma where you were heading. So it gives us an idea of what's going through your mind in terms of how far you're going to have to go to get some some uh, point that you'll recognize to know where you are. So, you know, fortunately, you didn't have to do that. You made the decision to go and you were right on course. But, um, wow, that's, that's incredible. I can just imagine... The tension, and at least when I fly, when things are, you know, when things are getting tense, the seconds just grind by as you kind of second guess these things that, you know, are going through your mind and these options that you chose and these inputs and am I on the right heading and am I missing north, am I missing south? That's really mentally tasking, I find. Yeah. And yeah, remember, we're talking about a long time to think about it, too. I mean, you know, (laughs) hours, you're like going. Yeah what should I do? I mean, should I go north, south? Should I hold this course? And like you say, Nairobi is 200 miles. It, it would have been a big correction to go and say, heck with Tanzania, I'm going to try to find Kenya. And remember, there's also a little bump in there called Mount Kilimanjaro that's in between. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> and Nairobi, Dodoma and Nairobi. So it's like, don't really want to run into that. That's a, that's kind of high up there. Yeah. So, you know, Carrie, as I hear you share these stories in your book, Furry Pilot is full of just fun and exciting stories like this. What I take away is um, for the rest of us who don't do this kind of exciting flying like you did routinely is, first of all, your risk analysis. And you may have a higher risk threshold than the rest of us do, but your risk analysis is very clear. You're looking at all these risks, and you may make a different decision than the rest of us who haven't been exposed to this kind of flying. But it's not as if it's cavalier or you're not thinking about it. It's actually very detailed risk analysis you do. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of a, a skill that, I, that I've developed over the years. Um, 
even growing up, I've always been kind of a risk taker, kind of always put myself into that position, sometimes accidentally, sometimes on purpose. And I've kind of developed a, a good way of dealing with emergency situations. I mean, I, I tell my students, remember, if you've got time to panic, you've got time to do something more productive. <laughs> and you can really, if you if you sit down and, and look at something, you can really come up with some unique you know, solutions to a problem. It's actually a learned skill, too. It's just like anything else. If you start young dealing with emergencies, you handle them better. Yeah. I've been doing it for forever. But like, like in skydiving, I've got 20,000 skydives, and I've had to use my emergency chute like 26 times. And it's just actually kind of like it. It's it's fun. <laughs> a little excitement in an otherwise boring day of skydiving. So, Well, that that's like the second lesson learned is mental discipline. So when you're in these situations that could get carried away and create a lot of anxiety, and then in that anxiety, there can be mistakes. But you kind of have the mental discipline to put that anxiety aside and to your point, not panic because that gets in the way and focus on the solution. And that really came out in the story you shared with us in that video, Pressure Over the Atlantic, that's on the Air Safety Institute YouTube channel. So that's kind of the second lesson I get from hearing you talk about this, just a mental discipline to think through the problem and not panic and not let that anxiety take over. Yeah, definitely. You just, you've got to calm things down, take a breath and work through the problem. You know, there's an old, uh, there's an old pilot saying, I can't remember exactly what it is, something like, like, if you have an emergency, the first thing you should do is wind the clock on the instrument panel. I go, why that? Because it gives you time to think and stop. Don't just, you know, be crazy. Yeah. You, know, you, you don't want to react to situations. You want to respond to situations. Take a second, think about what's happening and then formulate a plan of action. And that brings me to like the third lesson learned that I get from this, and that is hearing you talk about these stories, none of them were in a checklist anywhere. They were all unique and different problems, and so you had to really adapt and overcome. What, what are the keys to having that ability to see yourself in a situation that really isn't in a checklist anywhere? It's probably not something you practiced and somehow you adapt and overcome. What are the keys to that? Well, number one is education. I read everything I get my hands on about airplane accidents, situations like I've been in, anything I can find. Because if you remember, you know, learn from the mistakes of others. You'll never make, live long enough to make them all yourself. So, you know, if you, if you read something, you, you never know when you're going to get that one tiny nugget of information that might come in handy someday. The other thing is know your systems, know the airplane. I'm not an AMP, but I've been an aircraft mechanic for forever. My first job in aviation, I was a Huey mechanic and crew chief in the Army. I know the systems. Like when I had the problem over the Sahara with my, my alternator, you know, I was turning the, the lights down immediately. I even went so far as to unscrew the light bulb and the low voltage light to save even those couple of loams. I mean, Think of the, the movie Apollo 11 when those, you know, when they had those problems and they had to solve everything, you know, stop, look at the problem, solve the problem. Yeah. Great advice from ferry pilot, Kerry McCauley. Look at his book. It's on Amazon. It's called Ferry Pilot. Some really exciting stories there. And go to the Air Safety Institute YouTube channel and watch our video recreation with Kerry and pressure over the Atlantic. Kerry, thanks so much for sharing your stories with us. 
My pleasure, Richard. Well, more exciting adventures from Kerry McCauley, ferry pilot. I love hearing his problem solving, which was obviously key to his success in many of these stories. You can read about more of them in his book. But what I take away from him is the creativity that's sometimes needed in aviation problem solving. And those are great lessons for all of us. So thanks again, Carrie, and we look forward to hearing more stories from you. Thank you for joining us on this edition of There I Was. Alongside our producer, David O'Leary, I'm your host, Richard McSpadden. Fly safe. Hey, listeners, join me in thanking Charles Conklin for his donations that help us continue these podcasts. And if you'd like to donate and help us with the There I Was podcast, you can find us at airsafetyinstitute.org. That's all one word, airsafetyinstitute.org. Thanks for listening. There I Was is produced by the AOPA Air Safety Institute. If you'd like to hear other episodes, submit comments, or submit your own story to potentially be featured on the show, please visit airsafetyinstitute.org slash there I was. Thanks for listening.